Hi, hello, watch fans. Welcome to another episode of Fratello on Air. Today, it is my pleasure to be joined by Guido Tereni, the CEO of Parmigiani Fleurier. First, let me say that it's an honor to talk to someone with such a long career in the watchmaking industry. Uh, welcome to the show, and could you tell our listeners when and where it all began? Well, thank you, Rob, for, for having me. It's a pleasure to, to talk to you and to your audience. Uh, well, it's all started uh, 21 years ago, and it was uh, basically for love, because my, my fiancé at the time was living in Switzerland, and uh, the first one between us that would have found a job would have moved. So luckily it was me, and, uh, and uh, now she's my wife. So we are living happily since ever. And uh, then I found a second love in watchmaking, entering in it uh, from the inside. And, uh, and it's really something, a journey that is, uh, is long because understanding watchmaking is not something that takes a small amount of time. It takes a lot of time and uh, doing it in, inside uh, from, uh, from an angle where you can drive a brand uh, and, and drive a manufacturing uh, um, of, of the brand uh, is something really fascinating. So it's, it's something that I, I treasure a lot and uh, I hope that uh, it will never end. I do find that the longer I spend in and around the industry, the more you realize there is to learn. So although the experience accrues, so does that awareness of the things you haven't yet experienced. It's true. It's true because uh, it's such a vast uh, domain uh, and it's not just a commercial domain. Of course, we're here running a business like everybody, uh, but it's more than that. Uh, there is a lot to do with, uh, with emotions, with culture, uh, with the sense of aesthetic, with qualitative, qualitative aspects uh, that drive uh, a desire. And, uh, and this is something there's no formula for. And that's what's be the beauty about this, because uh, you cannot uh, have a, a recipe to, to what you have to do. You have to interpret. And uh, it's like meeting a person, uh, dealing a brand with a brand. is something that uh, has a personality, it has values, it has an ambition, it has a, it has a direction to, to follow, to, 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 to drive. Uh, so there are plenty of elements that are extremely, um, I would say, deep. No? And, uh, and a manager is usually seen as a person who runs uh, a profit and loss and who runs uh, very rational things and logic things. In watchmaking, uh, it's less, it's obviously that part is, is also important, but it's a consequence of things that are much more important, like interpreting, understanding, uh, personality of a brand, uh, making it clear towards an audience, and uh, and you need a lot of things. You need uh, an idea. You need a team uh, that can uh, interpret ideas and, and be proactive and productive. Uh, but also, you need uh, to be uh, desirable to a customer, to a uh, somebody who wants to enjoy and own your your ideas and your your brand. So it's something that uh, it's like uh, music, no? And you have some, someone who has to write it, someone who has to play it perfectly, flawlessly, someone who has to enjoy it, and it's a, it's a choral exercise. Exactly, and it definitely requires a human touch. I've met with and worked with a lot of businessmen, successful businessmen and women outside of the watchmaking industry, and when they've asked how business takes place, it often terrifies them because it is, like you say, so uh, unformulaic and 
so uh, personality driven sometimes that there's no uh, no guiding principle. Uh, you do have to feel your way around it and approach every new challenge uh, for what it is, something very unique and uh, something very human. But where did you first cut your teeth in this industry? Where did What brand did you work for initially and how long were you there? I have a, a very, I would say, monogamous because uh, it's a, I spent 20 years with one brand, which is Bulgari, uh, ending up in my last uh, 10 years leading the watchmaking division. And, uh, and now it's my second brand. So two completely different uh, worlds, uh, but uh, a quest for excellence and, uh, and creativity and in-house production. So a lot of interesting parallels that you can find there, but also a lot of differences. <clears throat> So, I mean, it must have been quite difficult to step into a completely new environment after two decades in the same institution. You know, how did you deal with it? Well, I think uh, it's uh, there's a lot of understanding to be done when you enter in a brand. And uh, you come with your background of knowledge uh, and of experience. And uh, then you have to have an open mind to, to understand why uh, the new brand, which is Parmigiani, exists, which is, which is its, uh, its principles, which are its values, which are um, the things that make her stand out uh, differently. And, uh, and this is a, a job that you do first externally, because uh, I know the brand since 20 years. Uh, and I've always seen it as something prestigious, a brand uh, which has a huge craft and a huge attention to details and to refinement. Uh, and, uh, and then you enter in it and you, you have to validate your, your intuitions as an external person. And often as an, with an external eye, you are detached from the emotion of the teams that are inside the brand when you enter. So there is a, an alignment to be done from expectations, from making understood what you feel the brand is, but also understanding what the people who are in the brand and who made the brand up to now uh, feel the brand is. Then there is a, another really unique factor, which is very rare, is that we have the chance and the luck to have the founder of the company still alive. So that was another very important imprinting, if you want, that I could benefit from. And uh, being Michel Parmigiani, a living legend of restoration with an infinite culture on watchmaking uh, beyond the commercial side of what watchmaking is today, you know, because when you have restored hundreds of pieces of the Patek Philippe Museum, or you have restored the, all the uh, beautiful pieces of the um, family, Sando, uh, private collection, uh, you are really putting your hands on the best creation of the history of Swiss watchmaking. And this cultural patrimony has been recently, last year, um, named by UNESCO as a human patrimony, the patrimony of cultural uh, of the humanity. And it's something that uh, has a, a value that you don't see when you are working for a brand commercial. In my 20 years, I never entered in contact with restoration 
And it's a different way of looking at the same business, if you want. And uh, you get to understand not only um, the history of watchmaking, which is so vast that I, I'm not presumptuous to say that I know, uh, because uh, it takes a life to understand uh, that knowledge and a life of dedication, like Michel has given his life to perpetuating the mechanical art. You know, in 45 years of activity, he has really had that as his private mission. When everybody was going courts, he was going to restore what the Swiss tradition was able to express. Uh, and it's an artistic, um, how do you say, protection of, of, the, of the craft and of, and of what uh, you are able to do on a timepiece or a mechanical piece in general. And to do that, you have to master not only the craft of today, the techniques of uh, years of centuries ago are different. So when you restore a piece of the 18th century or the 19th century, you have to interpret the, the, the way of working of those uh, watchmakers at the time. And not only the movement, but also in the dial making, in the maillage, in the engravings, in any other, um, any, any métier, no? any uh, specialized savoir-faire that you have on, on a timepiece. So it's really an infinite uh, sensitivity that gives you uh, a quest for uh, refinement and a finishing on a today's watch, which is beyond the uh, average. It's really at the top of uh, what you can do. And uh, that's what fascinates me, because it's not because of the restoration, uh, literally, it's not that its restoration is a, is a business that is keeping a brand uh, alive. It is a source of inspiration. It is a source of knowledge. It is a, a way of looking at knowledge with, with, in a deeper way. And uh, this back, background, this heritage, uh, has to be interpreted for a client in his 30s, in his 40s, who is living today. It's not for the, the sake of the restoration itself. It's not that we are literally... Uh, we're producing not an object that was in a private collection of um, 200 years ago and we do a watch copying it. That's not what the richness of restoration is about. The richness is about uh, using all that background, using all that sensitivity on technical and, and aesthetical aspects uh, and making it a contemporary object, a contemporary uh, craft for a gentleman or a woman in its uh, 30s, 40s of today, which, which is looking for a collection that has a superior craft. So having come from a very different company environment, did you find that initially the goals you had in mind for Parmigiani clashed with any of the brand's core values or any of Michelle's ideologies, or was it a harmonious relationship from the outset? No, I think uh, my sensitivity is uh, an aesthetic sensitivity and a technical sensitivity and, uh, and, a, and a market sensitivity. So what I bring uh, to, to the, the venture is a comp- complementing uh, the know-how that is internal and and to give a more fresh look to the brand to, uh, feeling to the brand a more contemporary touch respecting the soul of the brand which is this beautiful uh, sensitivity to to the finishings to the refinements to the details that you can put on a watch and you have to interpret that and find a style which we have found in the new uh, release that we have just put on the market, which is the Tonda RPF, which is really a statement in terms of aesthetic that resets, if you want, a brand identity in today's world. 
So obviously to have that kind of sensitivity and that kind of touch, you need to be very aware of the context of watchmaking and where your brand stands within it. Which other high-end watchmakers do you admire? Well, you touched a very interesting point, which is, uh, which is what is the context that we are living in today? In my over 20 years of watchmaking experience, I have never lived a moment so peculiar as today. Uh, there is a quest for niche brands like no other moment in, in watchmaking history. And this is linked to the fact that uh, the watchmaking industry has become bigger and bigger. And when you become bigger and bigger, you become more mainstream. And when you, when you become more mainstream, uh, because you have to assure profitability and, uh, and, and look for many clients uh, every year, uh, you you are giving birth to a counter trend of uh, uh, people who are looking for uh, personal interpretation of a watch brand. So um, a more intimate uh, personality to stand out from a sort of motivation, if you want, in the tastes and in what the people are buying. And this is the frontier of luxury. And that's, to me, the role of niche brands. Niche brands have the obligation to push the boundaries of luxury in a, from an aesthetic point of view and from a technical point of view. Because aesthetically, I think that between, I would say, eight to nine people today are buying watches that have been designed by, not in that generation. Uh, and there are replicas of watches of the past or different variations. Uh, and there are very few brands, and the niche brands are the ones who are pushing that, uh, are, um, are challenges that are creating that in a, in a more interesting way, and technically speaking also. So if you ask uh, the question, which are the brands that I admire, I admire those who look for their own road uh, to express uh, a feeling which is personal. And uh, I would say, well, I'm very attached to, to the work that we did in Bulgaria. So the Auto Finissimo to me, it's a very contemporary, modern interpretation of what a uh, trajectory for uh, for today should be, and had pushed has pushed the boundaries very very far. Uh, I'm attached uh, to 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 other brands for personal reasons. Uh, for instance, uh, Vachon Constantin was the watch of my father, so that's the first timepiece, luxury timepiece or high-end watchmaking expression that I got in contact with. So that's part of my personal experience although very classic in terms of uh, style. Uh, then uh, if you look into niche, I, I have a lot of respect for Max Busset, so on the NF, who has chosen a, a very personal way to interpret uh, a timepiece on a wrist. Um, so there are plenty of executions, if you want, or interpretation of uh, what you can, you, can, you can put on your wrist. And to me, the more interesting it is, the, the more I admire. Talking of those groundbreaking and boundary-pushing aesthetics, do you ever get involved yourself with the design of the watches? Of course. That's, uh, that what smooths everything, in my opinion. I have always led the creativity uh, in my 10 years of uh, direction of the brand very, very closely with a lot of discipline and with a lot of consistency. Uh, designers need directions. Uh, because uh, otherwise they are artists. Uh, <laughs> we have always have to remember that we design a brand. 
it's not, then you interpret it and you put your service yourself at the service of a brand, but the brand has to guide you. And the ultimate uh, responsibility of that uh, direction is who guides uh, the work of everyone. No? Uh, and design is not only aesthetic, it's also technical, because uh, in watchmaking especially, and aesthetic and technique are very interconnected no? because uh, there is a, a decision to take between how much you want to uh, be consistent with the, with the respect of the 100% of the creative idea from an aesthetic point of view, and then you have to match constraints that are technical because not everything is doable uh, in, in reality. No? So there is a sort of tension now between aesthetic and technique and they, the two have to speak the same language, the language of the other, if you want. And uh, this is extremely fascinating to observe uh, because uh, emotionally, uh, it is more the aesthetic side that, that has the, 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 the appeal to, to, to the emotion of the client. And the technical side, side has, uh, of course, an importance because it's what makes it become true. What, Otherwise, it remains on the screen of a designer what you are what you are uh, thinking. No? So these two um, ten this tension is is the beauty of watchmaking is what's what made me fall in love with, with this job. And there is another very important thing when somebody tells me that uh, watchmaking is like any other business, I say you're wrong, it, and it's really true in my opinion and. Uh, to me, it's the only business that I know of. Maybe somebody is more educated than me from an economic point of view, but it's the only business who refused uh, a technical innovation in terms of curve, technological curve. No? Uh, up to the quartz era, it was the only technology to, to keep the time was, uh, was a mechanical watch. No? And then you come up with a technology which is cheaper, 10 times cheaper and more precise and it doesn't make it. No? You go back to, to mechanical after the post crisis. So this tells you something. It's it's it, it's it, if you you do the parallel with I don't know uh, uh, electronics. No? Every technological curve of a mobile phone uh, changed the the actors of uh, of who was the leader according to if it was only talking and if you had the messages or if you had the images or if you had the videos no, these are technological curves on a mobile phone and each of these steps has changed the leader in the industry of the mobile phones in in watchmaking it's the opposite you refuse uh, because it's an artistic expression and because the longevity of the life cycle is infinite you buy watches that were designed 100 years ago Think of the samples of the Cartier or the Reverso. Is a, these are watches that were that, that are infinite if they are well managed in, in the life cycle. No? So uh, this, to me, has no other parallel in any other domain. If you look at uh, a Porsche 911 of the 50s or 60s, it's not the same car today. On a watch, it, it is. Okay, technically speaking. I absolutely agree with you. That tension between um, the aesthetics and the functionality of a watch is what made me fall in love with watchmaking long before I knew how to service a watch or design a watch. It was just that beautiful harmony, uh, which I don't see any parallels 
uh, elsewhere in myself. And as a result, of course, you now work for a company that creates some pretty um, wonderful watches from both an aesthetic and a technical perspective. But which one of them, if there is one or maybe several, uh, is your favorite? Well, uh, I, if I have to pick one, I would pick uh, the latest that we have introduced, uh, that is the Tonda PF in micro rotor in uh, steel with a platinum base. This to me is really the essential of what uh, Parmigiani is today. And uh, it's pure, it's minimal in its uh, aesthetics, but it's extremely rich in its making. So we, we define the style uh, a rich minimalism where you are, uh, where it, this tension between a very pure and uh, and simple, if you want, aesthetic idea, which simplicity in design is the most difficult thing to achieve, no? because the two-hand watch is the, the hardest board for a designer, in my opinion. And uh, But the making of it, the finishings, the details, the is is unprecedented in a, in a sport-sheet watch. I would say it's more a chic sport watch than a sport-sheet watch, but... It's, it's something that needs uh, a superior craft in everything, in the, in the guillotage that is so refined, so small that you almost don't see it. If you don't put two anti-reflex treatments on the glass, you don't see the, the, the guillotage because it has to be a texture that is there but is not there because it doesn't have to disturb you when you read the time because otherwise it warns you out. And the more big you, you, you do a shed, the more old-fashioned it looks. So it's also a quest for a contemporary mood on a watch. And uh, there are plenty of examples that could go on for hours and expressing what are the details on a case, on a bracelet, on, a, on, on, on any aspect of the, of, the, of the watch. But that's really, to me, what defines today the style of yeah, it is a masterpiece of restraint when it comes to design and um, maturity, I think, knowing exactly where to place the emphasis, and that is thoroughly on the execution. And the aesthetic is allowed to breathe because it isn't overcomplicated by a designer desperate to throw the kitchen sink at it. And I was lucky enough to get one, um, or in fact, the whole collection on my wrist when we were in Geneva recently, and I have to say that I was thoroughly impressed with the wearability of it. And uh, just how much it comes to life on the wrist and how you're able to appreciate it as, well, a sculpture, I suppose, like um, from all those different angles as it interacts with the light. Given that Parmigiani has achieved such uh, a level of refinement, it, it is often hard for me to align it with any other brand in its price point, shall we say. Do you identify any competitors directly? Well, you have to always uh, keep in mind uh, what uh, a customer can buy at the price that you are offering your offer. You know? So even if you don't buy, if you don't have a direct competition in terms of style, you know? because if I think of uh, Moser, you know, it has a sportship watch, but it's extremely minimal too, but it's extremely uh, clean you know? in, in the finishings are, are almost industrial in certain aspects, no? mm. like the Finis, you know, which is born to be brutal no? in terms of uh, aesthetic, uh, this monochromatic sunglasses look, which is, which is defining a style which is different from ours. No? But then you have, uh, you have uh, your interpretation of that, uh, of that object, and the more you cannot associate the style with, with somebody else, the more your choice is unique. And authentic, and in fact, uh, it's difficult to find, as you said, 
a direct uh, parallel in terms of, uh, of, 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 of a timepiece that has the same, releases the same mood, in my opinion. So it's more the price point that would give you an alternative, but it, it, it cannot be said as the direct competitor is this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to, to name one. So given the fact that Parmigiani has such a defined character and perhaps like stands alone um, when it comes to certain customers' particular um, purchase preferences, what's the long-term plan to maintain that? Is it a continued refinement of the models you already have in the collection or is it the, uh, the creation of something entirely new that extols the same ideologies? What's, what's, on your, what's on your mind for the next few years? Well, when I entered the company and I looked at internally what was uh, moving the sales, I have uh, immediately understood that there was a, an ex- a, a too wide uh, part of the sort. You know? And this creates confusion in understanding what is the style of the brand and what is the, the difficulty not in, in recognizing an object as a whole. So to me, our, our main priority is to make the Tonga collection, which is the, the larger part of the appreciation of the brand today, uh, become uh, iconic. No? And it, it's not you that decide if, uh, if something you design is iconic. It's the client who decides, the, defines the iconicity of, of a brand or all. So, the, but you can, you can help a creation of a brand become iconic if you are very disciplined, if you are very rigorous in what you're doing, if you are not creating thousands of variants of the same stuff, uh, because you have to respect the client that you already conquered uh, and, 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 uh, and make him feel cool in having in only the watch for a long time. And this is... Uh, due to the fact that you are respecting his choice and you're not doing something the next year that uh, sets off what somebody bought the year before. This is extremely important to to do. So when we will enlarge uh, the collection, because today it's the Tondapier has only uh, six references plus a, um, a a platinum limited edition of 25 pieces to commemorate the anniversary of the silver jubilee of the brand, uh, we have to be very cre- uh, careful in adding into the assortment watches that have their place to exist and that are different of what we have in, in inserted, different in movement, different in price point, uh, but consistent in style. So. The consistency of the style passes through your aesthetic, your respect of your tone of voice, in your colors, in your style. So every watch that will come out will be part of the family and part of the brand identity, which is very clear to me. And uh, I hope it will be understood uh, more and more by our clients the more we are uh, disciplined and, uh, and clever in, uh, in making it uh, understood. So on that note, can you tell us or can you give us any kind of insight into what might be coming next? 
Well, it's a bit early to talk what's next because now we're really shipping the, the, the Thunder PF right now. So it's it's a bit quick. I give you a rendezvous at uh, Watch Some Wonders where I'm very eager to participate because hopefully it will be the first fair physical after two years. And, uh, and then you can admire the ideas which are coming up. But uh, what I can assure you is that we will push the boundaries of our brand and the boundaries of what is the interpretation of a timepiece uh, further. Uh, and it will also pass from uh, technical innovation. Okay, okay, I understand. Keeping it very tight-lipped and I have to be patient. Um, <laughs> I was very impressed with the PF when I saw it, like I said. So I, that's going to keep me uh, keep me engaged for another few months at least before I need to see something new. But I'm sure whatever it is that you've got brewing will be very exciting. And I look forward to covering it uh, at Watchers and Wonders, where hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down and meet face to face. Guido, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for your honesty and candor. It was very much appreciated. I'm sure the Fratelli will enjoy listening to this conversation. And I hope to have you back again soon. Thank you. Thank you.